0: This is Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy, and we have a great show today. A special friend and my guest is David Nielsen, the founder of Guiden Financial. So David actually started Guiden fin- Financial in 2003 with $10,000 and a laptop. Since then, Guiden has helped more than 18,000 entrepreneurs across the country to secure over $4 billion in small business and franchise financing. Guidant last year
1: funded about 1,800 small businesses, individual small businesses, put about almost a half a billion dollars to work. So big sample set. Uh, The data, though, that we got represented that 49% of the transaction were happening in an investment category that ranged between 50000 and 250,000. So regardless of whether it was rollovers or business startups or SBA loans, unsecured financing, uh, the, the 50% of them occurred within that sort of uh, what I would call small to medium investment range for a franchise or small business. And I'm curious if you're seeing the same sort of trend towards these sort of small to midsize investment categories.
0: We talk everything today from financing to how to run a great business and how to even pick A franchise from the financial perspective. So stay tuned, listen in, and get some great information from one of the top franchise executives in the country. It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. David, I really want to thank you for being on the show. This is such an honor. It's so great to have you here.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the, uh, the invitation.
0: So, and Financial and this whole finance world and franchising and entrepreneurship, um, how did you get started? What, what was the impetus for this?
1: Well, like lots of entrepreneurs, it was uh, unintentional. So, I, you know, I've been uh, in small business for a long period of time. And early on, I started a landscaping company. That moved into land development. And actually during uh, the process I was developing land, somebody suggested that I look at retirement assets as a way to help fund some of these transactions. And I didn't actually realize that you could invest your retirement assets outside the stock market. And actually going through that process, I realized it wasn't just an opportunity to invest in real estate but also into things like small business even uh, lending capital for things like private mortgages and so initially we launched Guiden financial as a firm to help people invest their retirement assets outside the stock market into all sorts of uh, investments but what i found is that my business partner and i who he and i are equal partners in Guidant, found that uh, we were really interested in helping people open small businesses. And it was, we were drawn towards that sort of small business and franchising arena. And as we were serving more and more of those customers, they needed additional forms of financing, things like SBA loans and unsecured credit, um, portfolio loans. And so we started to build a suite of services around that entrepreneurial client. And then over time, realized that uh, we needed to uh, move away from any other types of transactions. And so uh, early on, we made the decision to invest all of our efforts in helping individuals who are starting or buying businesses or franchise establishments um, to get the capital that they need to do that.
0: So you do more than just franchising. You, you could do private businesses or, or resales or what have you. Is that right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at the number of customers, so Guyton Financial is one of the largest providers in franchise financing, but we do a lot more than that. About 34% of our business is helping new franchisees get the capital that they need to open their business. But the remainder of that is for people that are either starting their own entrepreneurial venture or they're buying an existing business. And that could include franchise resales. So, you know, we've got pretty diverse background in terms of the types of businesses that we help capitalize. But I think that's you know, for me, it's important that we are helping individuals, regardless of that, uh, to get the capital that they need. I mean, my background. So, in addition to starting guidance, um, I've invested in lots of different companies across many different industries, um, things like digital publishing and travel, neuropharma, SaaS, logistics, um, and I've even been a franchisee. So, I've got lots of experience in those areas, and I can tell you that that capital is one of the biggest barriers to entry across all of those areas.
0: Absolutely. And not enough capital is probably the number one reason for failure.
1: Well, for sure, because I think what ends up happening is a lot of us are overly optimistic when we first start a business and don't realize that the runway may be a little bit longer uh, than we anticipated. And so that's something we work really hard here to do is make sure that you know people have enough capital to not only sustain the business, but thrive uh, long term.
0: Absolutely. I um, educate my clients on that day in and day out. There is nothing more important because I got caught in that, you know, quagmire of not having enough money and being stuck with a, you know, a, a business and a lease that I had to pay for. And, and it just, uh, it got ugly and um, you don't want to be in that place. So no question. Don't get overextended. So I want to really talk about something that I was reading about, You did a joint venture with a company called The Lending Club. Before we get into that, though, can you just tell people the best way to get to Guidant Financial?
1: Yeah, it's uh, GuidantFinancial.com. And Guidant is spelled G-U-I-D-A-N-T, Financial.com. Lots of information on there, calculators, articles. So if someone's interested in different financing strategies or just wants to learn a little bit more about how that process works, that's the easiest way to do it.
0: Yeah. And it is a great website, by the way. Not just saying that I, I use it for resource every once in a while. So I, I appreciate all the work that you and your team do. You have an awesome, awesome team back there in Seattle. So tell, tell me about this thing that you did with the lending club. What, what was that all about? It's so interesting. I was reading so many things about it in the press.
1: Yeah. So the Lending Club is a a firm that also helps individuals find capital, typically in uh, smaller size transactions and generally for existing businesses. However, uh, we partnered together on a data project where we effectively surveyed um, our client base and theirs and took the thousands of entrepreneurs that responded and started to parse out that data so we could understand you know, who's opening businesses, who's seeing success, where is their momentum. And there's some really interesting data points that came out of that project. And so, yeah, there's been, I guess there's a a lack of real-time data available in both small business and franchising. It has certainly gotten a lot of attention.
0: Yeah, I would say so. What was one of the biggest things that surprised you that came out of that project?
1: Surprised me? Well, let's see. I think one of the things that stood out to me was that women represented a greater portion of franchising than they do in the overall sort of entrepreneurial category. And that would be like like we talked about earlier, small business startups, existing business transfers, and then new franchises. And women represented about a quarter of all the franchise owners that we served. But inside of that, there was another interesting niche in that in the African-American category, there was 80% more women opening small businesses than outside of it. So it seems like the women in the african-american community are more entrepreneurial than outside
0: that's a staggering uh, stat i mean wow i'm just i can't i'm uh, speechless
1: (laughs) yeah I, I, i honestly can't tell you why that is but we found that really interesting another thing that we thought was interesting and i guess i shouldn't be surprised by this but it's always nice to see the data that backs it up you know you and i are really connected to the franchise industry and Typically, what I have seen, and I'd be curious to know your perspective on this, but typically what I have seen is that people love franchising because they are able to go into business with a support system available to them. And it was represented in the data that franchisees are simply happier in their business than those that are going at it alone. And so, again, not terribly surprised, but I found it nice validation because we do so much work in that space.
0: That's amazing to me, and and of course, it sounds self serving to say, yeah, of course it is. It's so much, you know, franchising is so much better. Buy a franchise, but speaking from my own personal experience, having owned two franchises and three non franchised businesses, it seems as you say that what came to mind is that when I had my own my own startups, it was like being on an island. I had nobody to talk to. There's nobody I could reach out to. And then when I had my, you know, as an example, my smoothie business, Maui Waui Smoothies, you know, I sold that business in 2005, and now it's 2019, and several of the franchisees there I still talk to. We're still friends. So one guy who's a franchisee still with with that outfit is here on Long Island where I live, and we used to work together hand in hand. We would do co-op advertising together, and we would share employees. I mean, whatever it took you know, because we were all building equity in the same brand. Mm -hmm. So I think it's those relationships more than anything in franchising, which I don't think anybody speaks about. It's not, you know, in their franchise disclosure document about how great the culture is and all that. But I think that's the really, really big thing that I love and actually miss at the moment uh, of owning my, my own franchise.
1: Yeah, there's no question. It's funny, you know, when you own your own small business, it's all about protecting what you have a lot of times. But when franchising, you actually benefit from the brand expanding. So you want to see your individual, the franchisees that are peers within that system succeed. And so I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was asked on a different opportunity, you know, what was one of the things that I have done or built into my life that's contributed to some of that success? And I said, you know, coffees and cocktails with other entrepreneurs, because you learn so much by sharing, you know, what's working, what's not working. And that that exists Within the franchise systems, you don't have to, you know, exercise that discipline quite as intentionally because it's available to you built into that. So I think that's highly likely to be one of the big contributors to not only the success, but the happiness level of the franchisees because they're not alone.
0: Yeah, and not that we're going to go down this road, but it just I just have to say it occurred to me. You know, after I got out of my franchise and then I started hanging around with the International Franchise Association and I was going to my, you know, certified franchise executive classes, I noticed that even between competing businesses in franchising, those folks would get together and share best practices, Mm -hmm. you know. As a just a general example, not exactly true, but, you know, you'll have the CEO of McDonald's sitting with the CEO of Burger King and, and saying, you know, what did you do that was right this year? And what did you do that was wrong? And everyone's so willing to share. And it's all in the name of, you know, building franchising in America and, and actually across the globe. So I found that most fascinating as well.
1: Yeah, there's no question. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about sharing best practices, and it it reminded me one of the, the things that came out of the data project that I found really fascinating is the question we were asking is, does education correlate to profit? You know, there's uh, people that are going into businesses all over the, the country, all over the world, frankly, who have varying degrees of education. Yeah. And what we found is that it definitely does not correlate the profit. In fact, the highest percentage of profitable businesses came from those who didn't even have a college degree. And it seemed huh. that the higher the education, the slower the profitability grew. So it's funny when you think about who's right for entrepreneurship, I've, I've often heard people say, well, that person's uneducated. Or hey, I have a master, so I really know how to do this. And the reality is that the, it generally doesn't correlate.
0: That is a, a really interesting thing that I'd love to delve into, because I, you know, I kind of feel the same way in myself. I mean, I don't have an MBA, and and I, you know, barely graduated with a bachelor's. And you know, I got into my business, and everybody said I was crazy and all that stuff, but. I just dug in and I didn't know what I didn't know. So I didn't make preconceived judgments about what could be done and what can't be done. I just did it. Yeah. And even I remember specifically when I first got my smoothie franchise, it was really built to be more of a street fair type of, you know, selling smoothies on these carts or kiosks at at a, you know, at the state fair. But I went and uh, made a phone call to the Jacob Javis Convention Center in Manhattan. And the president of the company, who I'm still friends with and I talked to at this point, said to me, man, you're, you're hunting elephants, so don't be disappointed. <laughs> and and I got that gig. It was my very first gig. And it was just making a phone call, simple, you know, right place, right time, you know, whatever. But, you know, nobody, nobody told me that I can't do that. So I did it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a funny. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given, and I've given this to many people who were thinking about going into a franchise or a business, is that don't overthink it. Trust your gut. Uh, intuition is a very powerful tool, and I think the more cerebral you are, the more you tend to overthink those decisions and get can get paralyzed or not do the simple thing because it just seems out of reach.
0: Right. It's it's so true, and it is a lot of gut and a lot of instinct. And I always tell people, like, even when you're just buying a franchise, you could do spreadsheets and have a whole entire room filled with all your data. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it doesn't feel right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. It's kind of like when you're buying a house for the first time. If you've ever had that experience, you're shopping and you're going from house to house and it gets really boring after a while. But all of a sudden you walk into a house and you get that feeling that this is home. Mm -hmm. It's a gut feeling. You can't put it in words, but you just know it. Yeah. As my wife would say, the, the juju is right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and so it's like that with a, with a business. But, you know, a lot of times someone who's highly educated in business and has an MBA or whatever would say, but no, you, you know, you can't just go on your gut. You got to have all the factors and all this and that. and And yeah, you got to do your homework and the numbers got to be right. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's got to be a gut reaction.
1: It's got to align with your own sort of personal philosophies. And even it sounds like your wife would say energy, but I I think that's absolutely true. What, you know, Tom, you asked me earlier something that surprised me out of the the data project. One that actually surprised me was that 30% of the respondents said that they would go to a family or a friend. These are the prospective business owners that we surveyed. So I probably should clarify that we surveyed two different audiences, those that have already financed and are operating a business and then those that were thinking about it. And of the group that was thinking about it, um, no surprise, uh, financing was their biggest barrier to getting started. So that's an exciting opportunity for a company like Guiding Financial. But one of the things that uh, surprised me and I would say even concerned me is that 30% said they would just go to a family member or a friend to try and find a business, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, you know, building a professional team and having subject matter experts to help, you know, you navigate that process, I think is very important because there are lots of um, pieces that uh, individuals who don't have experience doing this need to understand, and so that's why people like you exist, right, to help people walk through that process and analyze, uh, or I should say, identify, uh, analyze, and evaluate these opportunities. But thirty uh, percent said they just go to a family member or a friend.
0: And it's, you know, it's funny, family members and friends probably try to talk you out of it more than, more often than not. And I've, in my personal experience, I've found that. And there's a great book called The War of Art, not The Art of War, but The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And he talks about resistance. The whole book is about resistance and resistance comes up in all different ways from procrastination to an unsupportive spouse to your friends and family telling you you're crazy to go into business. Mm hmm. And you have to do the research and get past the resistance. If you really want to do something, you got to get past it. And, you know, like I say to folks, it's it's not just, you know, franchise A or franchise B or, you know, an SBA loan or a home equity loan, but it's really the choice between uncertainty and unhappiness. That's the choice.
1: Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's funny when we first, well, I shouldn't say with Guyton, but my first entrepreneurial venture, I was, I would say sensitive to every cost or price. And I think my mind shift, my mind has shifted over time to think about it in terms of value. So now when I'm looking to do something where the investment or the stakes are high, and I would, you know, I would say that for most of our clients buying their franchise or starting their business, that's going to be one of the largest investments they theoretically make in their lifetime. I now have this perspective of going and finding the very best of the best, someone who's walked down that path a million times and can tell me where the opportunity is and where the bodies may be buried. Uh, And I think that's an important lesson for anyone who's thinking about starting a business is not to think about it in terms of the cost or the expense, I should say, but I would think about it in terms of the value they're going to drive or the cost of not going down that path.
0: Yeah, so true. And, you know, like I I always say, when you're sitting on your rocking chair and you're 90 years old or 100 years old, maybe even 110 or 20 in our day and age here, but, you know, you're going to regret the things that you didn't do, not the things that you did do. You know, we're taught to play to not lose instead of play to win. Yep. When you have that kind of mind shift like you've had, that it, it makes so much sense to me. It really is all about the value. And and there's really great third-party resources. I mean, you could go to franchise attorneys and get advice and franchise accountants. And that's all well and good. And you just have to make sure you're getting value. A lot of people will go to those type of folks looking for validation of the franchise yeah. or or the business or the idea and they could never and they shouldn't anyway give their opinion good or bad yeah. it's just watch out for these potholes you know do you realize when you sign this that means that your a personal guarantee means this you know because the thing is that a professional even somebody like me and you can't say yes or no that doesn't add any value so we got to say hey let's you know, let's look at the pros and then really the cons. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. What, you know, one question I would have for you, and I know that this is not technically me interviewing you, but I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on this. You know, Guyton last year funded about 1,800 small businesses, individual small businesses, put about almost a half a billion dollars to work. So big sample set. Wow. The data, though, that we got represented that 49% of the transactions were happening in an investment category that ranged between 50000 and 250000 So regardless of whether it was rollovers or business startups or SBA loans, unsecured financing, the 50% of them occurred within that sort of uh, what I would call small to medium investment range for a franchise or small business. And I'm curious if you're seeing the same sort of trend towards these sort of small to midsize investment categories.
0: Absolutely, yes. You know, people think about you know, I can't do a franchise because I can't afford a McDonald's. I don't have a million dollars. Yeah. And that might be the truth, but there's, you know, the number somewhere around 4,000 franchises in 90 different industries. Many of them have nothing to do with brick and mortar and food and and all of that. So you could be in a business that could make a significant income surpassing the average uh, salary, you know, for a hundred thousand dollar investment. And, you know, for me, I think that it's just a wonderful deal when you think about, you know, building something and then being able to sell it, you know, 10 years later for three times your profits. And so I see that trend very much. But typically it's, I always say, you know, it's not Joe Smith that's opening up an Applebee's as an example that will run on, you know, 1.5 million. Those are big, you know, conglomerates that do those kind of businesses. So they, they're looking for bigger loans. And I know that you, your guy's a guy that handle that. But for the average person that's in a career transition, they're not, first of all, they wouldn't be approved for a large business like that. And so the next category is what I call a simple retail category and or there's also the service-based category where in service-based, you know, the top, the top end of your investments is going to be 150,000. And then when you take the next step up into a brick and mortar, something that's going to be in a strip mall, as an example. You know, two or three thousand square foot store, that's going to be about a two hundred thousand to three hundred thousand investment. So it totally makes sense what you're saying to me and what that finding has has revealed.
1: Yeah, and part of that is, you know, obviously with us, and I'm I'm sure this is similar to you. We speak to lots of prospective franchisees and small business owners, and it, it generally, you know, more times than not, they choose to go a different path, and that's okay. But it's uh, I think preparing them to find the one the right concept. Things like you do, and then making sure that they are adequately prepared to go through that fin- financing process is uh, really important. Uh, one of the things I was going to share, you know, the, you made a comment about them unlikely to get uh, approved, and I think it, you know you've I'm sure seen these statistics, but approximately three quarters of the people that just go into a bank and try and get a small business loan or a franchise loan are going to get declined. And that number actually includes those that have an existing business with customers and assets and inventory and things of that nature. So for people that are looking to start a business or start a new franchise, it's theoretically higher than that. But what we've seen from our perspective is that 94% of the individuals that seek capital using a system like we use actually get the capital that they need to open their business. But it it takes time and it also, it requires them to do some thinking up front and some pre-work up front to make sure they know what they're financeable for. When we first started this business, I remember that, you know, coming from the real estate industry, the pre-qualification letter is something that, you know, a standard part of practice. You don't actually start looking for homes until someone in the mortgage industry has helped you understand what the investment opportunity looks like for you. But that discipline didn't exist in small business. And so we've worked really hard to build a system that allows us to predict within a very close range, how financeable an individual is so that they're spending their time looking at concepts that are within their own financial capabilities. And I think that alignment is what's driving a lot of that success.
0: Well, that's so awesome. And I always say to folks, you know, you need to speak to a team at Guide and Financial that can help you quantify really what you're looking for. You know, there was one of my colleagues said to me years ago, you know, when you're talking to somebody out know, I was in training at Franchois and and somebody said, you know, the Business is the gun, but the financing is the ammunition. And, you know, your gun is useless without the ammunition. And I thought that was a brilliant analogy. And so that's what you're talking about here. And it's interesting. And it's something that I learned from you years ago, actually, whether you realize it or not, is, you know, you really need three buckets of money to be successful. You know, you need your initial capital to get the doors open. You need your working capital to keep the doors open. And then you need something that nobody ever thinks about which is that home capital, what I, that's what I call it, mm-hmm. the money you need to pay your bills at home <laughs> and put food on the table as you're working towards making a profit because you're not going to make a profit in the first month in any business. I don't care what it is.
1: Yeah, that, that gr- grocery money is what we call it. It's make sure that you have enough capital up front so that you can make the appropriate investments to grow the business versus emotional reactions because of personal need. And so the, you've got benef- to balance both of those things while you're first launching.
0: Absolutely. And I want to swing back to the other thing you were talking about, friends and family for money. So, you know, people often come to me and they're like, yeah, I don't have any money, but my uncle has, you know, a lot of money and he was successful in his life and he's willing to finance me. And he's a silent partner. What I've found, and I don't know if if you have had this kind of experience, you know, I tell people, okay, have them fill out my, you know, questionnaire, have your uncle fill it out, and then we'll go down the road of figuring this out. and almost invariably almost every single time I never hear from that person again. Mm. I think that, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, I'll you, I, you know, I'll find, you. but there's no such thing as a silent partner in my book. You know, once money's involved, they want to have a say. Do you feel that kind of same sentiment? Yeah. I think we see the same
1: thing. A lot of times people come to you and say, Hey, I've got someone backing me, but you know, I would say that I say, it's uncommon just like you've seen that those transactions, typically happen. And the ones that I have seen happen, I would say there's probably, you know, more challenged relationships than good ones. I think, you know, mm-hmm. investors in general want to see return. And so it's very uncommon uh, that you'd see someone that provides capital to a transaction and really has no emotional attachment to it. In fact, the personal relationship might even amplify the emotion. So yeah, I would say that I agree with you that that's typically not a transaction that we see gets completed. But I think there's a lot other options for people. I think that, you know, generally what I've seen is that those that are looking for personal investment from an outside source is because they have an aversion to debt. Yeah. One of the things that we saw that came from the survey, and it's no surprising because a big part of our business is built on this human need, is that about a quarter of them said that they were absolutely adverse to debt. They just didn't want to do it. So if they were going to start a business, they needed to do it with an investment or equity of some sort. And so, as you know, rollovers for business startups is a big part of our operation. And this is where people are using their retirement assets to invest in a small business rather than the stock market. And they can do that without taking a taxable distribution. So they're starting the business with equity versus debt. Um, Mm. And I think that aligns with a lot of people's personal philosophies, which is they want to use Um, They they don't want to have to service a monthly payment and have that uh, overhead. So, you know, I'm drawing the correlation only because I've seen historically what we've found is people are looking for investment because of this personal need. And oftentimes when they find out there are other options that can meet that need, those investors are not necessary.
0: That is so true. And it's something we didn't really talk about, which is Guyana Financial's strong suit is helping people use their retirement Funds to finance a business and it's tax free and penalty free. And you could use those funds as your own money. You could use those funds tax free and penalty free as long as you're separated from the job in which you created that 401k. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people invest their retirement assets in stocks like Microsoft or Google, Apple. You know, that is something that's very commonly done within the retirement industry. But they do have the option to invest in stock in their own privately held company, assuming that it's formed correctly. So, yeah, that is a cornerstone of our business and was really the first vehicle that we took to the franchising market when we first started. Since then, we've really rounded out the portfolio. And actually, interestingly enough, over the last two years, the fastest growing segment of our business is SBA loans. And in particular, SBA loans where the total transaction capital that they need is under 250K. So, we're seeing some really good success in partnering with hundreds of banks across the country and finding individuals that want to consume the type of loans that are being requested by
0: borrowers all over the country. So that's a key point, you know, and it's a key takeaway. If you're thinking about franchising or if you're thinking about starting any business and you need financing to go into your local Bank of America, Chase, you know, Wells Fargo, I mean, you mentioned it, uh, you may, you know, whatever, whatever bank it is. Chances of being approved, as you said earlier, are are slim. But when you use a company, Guiden Financial, they have a list of banks across the country, and certain banks have what I believe, and and this is out of my league here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but they have something called like a credit box. Mm -hmm. So. There's certain type of loans that they're looking to do that month or that quarter or that year. They have goals. So they may be looking at only doing a lot of HELOCs, a lot of home equity line of credits. Or they may be wanting to do a lot of business, a lot of automobile or whatever it might be. So Guinant knows exactly which banks are looking for which kind of loans. So when you got somebody with a new startup that needs just $100,000, you know exactly where to go and the likeliness of getting approved goes way up is is that right yeah i mean not to oversimplify the process but at the end of the
1: day you know if you walk into your bank regardless of which bank it is you have a single point of failure right you're going to put in an application which an application is is not an insignificant process you put in an application and work with that bank over the next 90 days there is 3 out of 4 even the most qualified borrowers 3 out of 4 are going to get declined and if you're starting a new business, whether it's franchise or non-franchising, that decline rate goes up. The reason why we've seen great success is because we are taking that that inquiry, that application early in the process, and then taking it out to our network of financing institutions to pair them with one that for purposes of credit box, investment thesis, and even geographic proximity are going to be interested in in participating in that loan opportunity.
0: Yeah. So awesome. And you guys do a great job with that. And I appreciate it. You've held many, many of my clients over the years and uh, people rave about guided financial. So that's an awesome thing. I wanted to change topics just a little bit and talk more about your personal experience and, and entrepreneurial experience. Is there any moment in your entrepreneurial career at this point where you could look back at it and say, that was a reason for my success or, That was a major failure that I learned from. Anything you could share with the budding entrepreneurs that are listening?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. We've talked about some of the philosophies, and I, again, don't want to oversimplify. I think back to what you just asked about, um, the what I would call the uh uh-oh moments. 2008 was a tough one, right? I mean, we all know what happened in 2008 and early 2009, where the real estate market had already collapsed. The stock market was having problems. The economy and unemployment had you know, the economy had tanked and <laughs> unemployment was starting to move uh, much higher. We saw the cracks in the foundation early on, having been in real estate and tracking it very closely. I saw that happening, but I was too slow to react. So, you know, I look at 2008 and I think, you know, we, we could have put ourselves in a better position, although we navigated it just fine. It was a painful time. And I think, you know, I talked earlier about trusting your gut you know, at the time, I'm I, I calling late 2007, early 2008, every economist in the world was saying, hey, things are, well, I shouldn't say every, but most were saying things are great. You know, you looked at all the analysts in the market saying, hey, this is going to continue. But intuitively, I knew something was off. And so yeah. you know, going back to the, the comment I made earlier, the, one of the board members, one of my board members who said, you know, trust your gut, it's seldom wrong. I think we have to, as business owners, listen to that and understand what that gut is trying to tell us. So I think that's one of yeah. the moments where I look back and I say, man, we could have done ourselves a real favor by being a little bit more conservative or even defensive in
0: a period of time where we knew that the, you know, the overall economy was overextended. So what made you like not make a move? Is it just like I know for me it would be uh, I'm a little too afraid to look under that particular, you know, open that door, that can of worms. Well, I think we were riding such a a crazy amount of momentum. I mean, back
1: then, Guidant, we had started this thing in 2003. We launched it really just me and my business partner, and we had funded it with very little capital. It was an entrepreneurial startup. And we had grown that thing. This is just over a five-year period of time. We we were an Inc. 500 company. We had 110 employees. We were growing it over 100% year over year during that period of time. And so I think sometimes you you look at momentum and it gives you this sense of security. So I, I think at that time, that was probably what, what kept us or prevented us from being a little bit more defensive. But, you know, like I said, we could see that it, what was happening around us and we were just a little too late to react. And so I think if I was to reflect on my worst entrepreneurial moment, that's probably the one that I look back on and think, yeah, I should have done
0: that different. <laughs> Absolutely. So David, what, What's like the one best piece of advice you've ever gotten?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I think one of the best books that I've ever read uh, was a book. Uh, it's called Organizational Physics. And it's, this, it's, you know, an individual, his name's Alex Sisney who wrote this book, essentially saying that there was a way to build a business using the laws of science. And so I loved the book because obviously I've personally bought into the, con- the concept of franchising, having a, a blueprint for starting a business and then having some autonomy to build that business. And his thesis is that that's, that same sort of model can apply in your own entrepreneurial venture. And So I loved the, the, correlate, the, the consistency in his belief system to mine. One of the comments, because I later reached out to him and have spent considerable time uh, with the author, One of the things that he said to me is is that if you're going to make a key decision in your business, you need to involve those individuals upstream that are going to be impacted downstream. So if you're going to have a, you know, if you're going to make a big decision, you need to make sure that you have those that are going to be impacted by that decision, provide feedback in the process. And I think that's helped us make much better decisions within our business having those key stakeholders giving you feedback and input earlier to help shape the decisions long term. So, you know, one of the things that I would always tell individuals is that if you're going to operate a business, you need to get really effective at involving individuals upstream that are going to be impacted downstream in any decision that you make.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. That's something that I probably don't do. (laughs) So I just uh, learned that was just a little bucket of cold water for me. (laughs) <laughs> right. <We should> <laughs> it's hard, to, right because
1: small businesses we're chief cook and bottle washer and you know we're operating every day with our hair just a little bit on fire and so it's it oftentimes is difficult to take a step back and be a little bit more disciplined and intentional but sometimes we have to slow down to speed up and i think that's that is something that is a difficult lesson but mm-hmm. an important one for anyone that's going to operate a business
0: david what's one thing that you're really fired up about right now Fired up about? Well, you know, one of the things that we've been, we've recently
1: launched a new product through our company. Um, because of the work that we've done in rollover service business startups, we've had to help our existing business clients. So we've got about 8,500 existing businesses that we serve today. We have to help them every year value their investment. right? So we've been helping them do that through what we call an estimated business value for a long period of time. Mm. We recently, though, decided to take that service that we've been providing and productize that for people that are looking to sell their small business or franchise. One of the big gaps that we see in the market today is that there are a lot of professionals that are helping people buy new businesses. But within the franchising industry, there's an opportunity for us to uh, help people buy resales. And so yeah. we are, we've we launched what we're calling seller suite, which is helping those people that are thinking of selling their franchise to be able to value that so that they've got reasonable expectations on the value, what they should be able to fetch on the market and what would be financeable then for a buyer coming. Because wow. when you're buying a resale, uh, a franchise resale, the yeah. the the transaction is going to get underwritten from two sides because, you know, in a startup scenario, we're really underwriting the individual and their own financial capacity more so than the format. Well, when you're buying a resale, you've got a lot of history there that you also have to finance. And so our goal with seller suite is to make it easier for a franchise resale to transition from a seller to a buyer and make that much more effective. So I'm excited about that because, you know, approximately 30% of the franchising transactions that occur within the investment range that we specialize in, which is under a million,
0: happen within the resale category. That's amazing, and you're right. I be, I believe there's a big opportunity there. And uh, you know, many people come to me and they just want to buy a resale. They want to buy the cash flow. Sure. So that that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I well, love if you that. think about it. I mean, there's some people,
1: and I would put myself in this category. I'm a I'm an entrepreneurial spirit, right? And that entrepreneurial spirit is, is probably not going to do as well buying somebody else's business. But for someone who is interested in, um, you know, like you said, buying the cash flow or performing a turnaround, the challenge of rebuilding a the business, there's a lot of opportunities there that go missed. And so I, I think that's something that we're trying to help bring light to is, not only those opportunities, but a a path to getting those transactions
0: completed. Yeah. And that could be a podcast in itself. I think maybe we should swing back to that on another day. Yeah. We'd love to do that. Yeah. That would be brilliant. Actually. I'm definitely going to put that on the books. I'll let you guys know (laughs) we're going to book that. And what is one myth you would like to bust either about franchising or financing?
1: Oh, it's a good question. Well, you know, one myth that I think about franchising, and then maybe I'll do one about financing, because I'm an entrepreneur, I'll break the rule and answer two questions. (laughs) I think in terms of franchising, the one thing that I would say is I don't see a, a disconnect between franchising, small business, entrepreneurship. I think they're all entrepreneurial in general. And I think... So I would dispel that myth. I think the, the the process of building a business is very similar regardless, and I think the individual will just have to think what what do they value more the the system, the support, the track record versus freedom and autonomy, but knowing that there's it's a little lonelier, right? So I think I would just dispel that there's a, a major difference of uh, between those. It's just really down comes down to personal preference and individual need. Nice. In terms of financing, you know, one of the one of the things I talked about earlier is that still to this day, people believe the biggest barrier to them getting into business is going to be financing, and so um, I think a lot of people believe that they're going to be blind about that opportunity going through a transaction, and they don't have to be. So the, the myth that I would dispel is that you can actually uh, pre-qualify for financing early, uh, and I think that that puts you in a much greater place to be able to successfully buy a business and find the right business for you based on not only your own personal needs, but your financial capacity.
0: Absolutely. And and I think, you know, a personal story comes to mind real quickly. I wanted to say that when I, the way I got into franchising was that I really, really, really wanted to buy and open and operate a Cold Stone Creamery ice cream store. <laughs> And in the process of trying to find those guys on the internet back in 1999, I ran into uh, Franchise and uh, the company I work with now. And I ended up working with a consultant there who, and I said to her, hey, this is what I want to do. And she said, yeah, that's great, but it's about $250,000 more than your budget <laughs> <It> will allow. <laughs> Which I would not have known that if I would have had a Guidance Financial you know, pre qual before that, maybe I wouldn't have even gone down the road. But so, the cool thing is is that she ended up finding me a great business that matched my skills and my personality and And I was a number one franchisee, you know, eighteen years, I'm sorry, eighteen months into it. So, my point is is that you don't think that you're closed out. There's a lot of opportunity if you really want to do something, if you're just infatuated with a particular concept, you probably shouldn't buy it. i that that is my personal feeling is that if you just, you know, oh I just love these the way these hamburgers taste, you know, you you should not buy a business based on the consumer perspective. You'll yeah. end up in a lot of trouble that way. Yeah, well, it sounds like you were lucky enough to find a good
1: coach who understood enough about financing to give you good direction, but we see the same thing here. I mean, we get thousands of inquiries every single month. A big part of them have no idea what they want to buy, but a good portion of them think that they just want to buy an individual concept because they like the product. And I, you know, I think back to some of the books that have been written about, um, you know, the baker that wants to buy a bakery because they want to bake all day. But you know, you and I both (laughs) know when you're running a business. You don't get to do that. (laughs) You're, you're running the business, not, not creating the product all day long. And so you're finding a business that aligns with your, you know, individual and family needs and is a, a, a catalyst or a, um, a vehicle to help you accomplish the things that you want is really important.
0: Right. I mean, if you're a vegetarian, you know, you probably shouldn't open a McDonald's, but you can, because you're never going to be in the store per se. You know, you're not going to be touching the meat. (laughs) Yeah. As long as there's not a
1: values conflict for you. Right.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. So David, I wanted to just tie it up with one great piece of parting advice and a way people could get in touch with you guys.
1: Well, parting advice. I mean, I, I think we talked about it, but I, I feel really strongly that people that are looking to go into business for themselves, regardless of of how, build a great team. I know that sounds like it's a no-brainer, but I can't tell you how many people I see that feel like they have to go at this alone. But there are lots of great professionals, great organizations that are willing to support people on their entrepreneurial venture, and it's not coming at a high cost. So I think just continue to. If you're looking at, at starting or buying a business, just continue to build that team of good professionals around you that have experience helping people navigate these types of issues. And then the last thing you asked about, uh, Guidant Financial. So I'll just say again, I mean, the if somebody is interested in, in learning more about financing a business or just wants great you know, information on the different opportunities available there, GuidantFinancial.com is our website, uh, tools, calculators, articles. There's all sorts of stuff there, and I'd encourage people to go check it out.
0: That's awesome. David Nielsen, really loved having you on the show. We will maybe do a string of these things uh, because there's a lot to talk about, and and you have a lot of information at your fingertips. So I just want to thank you so much for being on.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. All
0: right. Have a great one.
1: This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.